How you doing? Welcome to the Green Room Podcast on the Handshake Agency. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. Hope you're doing well. Um, my guest this week is someone very special to my little heart because he's the creator of iconic HBO show Entourage. I'm talking, of course, about Doug Allen, who came on the show from his home in LA, mind you, over Zoom, to talk about his new podcast with uh, Kevin Dillon, who is... Johnny Drama from Entourage. It's called Victory the Podcast. They do it with Kevin Connolly, who plays Eric or E on the show as well. They basically talk about episodes, behind the scenes stories, and just reminisce on the show um, that was filmed obviously between 2004 and 2011. So I talked to Doug about that, uh, about what the podcast is all about, why they started it, and obviously about the show. Um, Jesus, especially in Hollywood in the last couple of years, there's been a, a very big movement. Um, and there's a lot of speculation on would Entourage not only be relevant, but would it fly in 2020? So we, we talk a bit about that, about the characters, about some of the stories, um, and of course, as well as some of the big cameos on the show, um, Eminem, Scorsese, LeBron James, James Cameron. Um, don't forget, when this show was pitched in 2003 or 4 to HBO, they hated it, and so did the actors. So... Doug tells me about how the show came to be, how they got it over the finish line, uh, the film that was done in 2015, the reaction to it, and what chances we have of seeing Entourage make any form of comeback moving forward. Here's my interview with Doug. Check it out. So, Doug, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Uh, how is how is LA treating you right now? It's all right. It's kind of it's kind of depressing to be honest with you. You know. Um, can't eat in any restaurants. It feels just a little closed down. It's been extremely hot, but we're all good. You know, we're surviving and hoping, uh, hoping things improve uh, quickly. You were just saying before we started this that you're doing a lot of Australian interviews today, but you've never actually been here before. No, how tragic is that? And I've been trying to get there for my entire life. Uh, I, I was obsessed with Paul Hogan as a kid before Crocodile Dundee. They used to play the show. My brother... I uh, lived in Melbourne for two years as an attorney. I was supposed to go, never made it. Uh, my junior year of college, I was supposed to go, but I was dating someone who convinced me to stay. And I was trying to plan a trip as right when this whole COVID thing broke out. So yeah. my plan is, uh, is to come as soon as this is over. So, Any, any idea when that'll be? We need some answers. <laughs> I, w- I, wish I, I wish I knew. I don't have... I don't have the answer. I mean, I keep thinking this nightmare is going to end, and I don't know how it is in Australia right now, and I think it, it really is how, where you are and how the news is portraying it and how the politicians are handling it. But, uh, you know, California does not feel like a great place right now. So, Trying to find a silver lining in, in what's going on right now, which is a perfect segue into Victory, the podcast. People are, are re-watching favorite shows, iconic shows, is this how the Victory podcast came to be in the last few months? Yeah, I mean, Kevin Connolly, who played uh, E on, on Entourage, started a podcast company, and he's been asking me to do a podcast for a while, which I didn't really, I, I honestly, I was behind the curve and didn't really understand it. But uh, 
Um, I wanted to do a, a radio talk show my entire life, but you know, just never did. And so it was a good opportunity to get into it. And it feels like during this pandemic that people are rediscovering the show a little bit. And I've been getting lots of calls from um, my friends and their children who are watching it now. So it just seemed like a good time. And, and we're talking about more than just entourage, we're talking about just general life and friendship and all of that stuff. So yeah, it felt like a good time and there's not much else to do, you know, mm. so, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Have you reconnected with, with these guys, the cast members in this pandemic or have you guys just stayed insanely close since what, 2011? Yeah, well, the movie, God, when was the movie? 15, 2015, yeah. 2015, so yeah. it's amazing how fast time is going. But, I mean, you know, obviously Entourage is a big group of actors and behind the scenes, but there's, you know, including probably 15 of the main actors and 20 crew members that we're still all very close. So Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon specifically, I speak to on a, you know, pretty much weekly basis and I see them all the time. So it was a natural thing for us. And I think, again, that's what the show feels like, our friendship. And then Jerry Ferrara, who plays Turtles, been on and Dominic Lombardozzi, who was on a few episodes and Reese Coiro. So we're, we're bringing in all the ones at this point that we're in contact with and then hopefully we'll expand out, you know. But we've yeah. also brought in other people that, that aren't entourage related. We had the Jordan Belfort as the Wolf of Wall Street that the movie was based on was was on last week. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I think I started binge watching Entourage in February, weirdly before the lockdown happened. I started rewatching it again and then Victory Podcast came out. I've been listening to that and I was actually watching the pilot again last night. So I'm back into it. Why right. do you why do you think Entourage has managed to stay so relevant and so important? For, for TV viewers? Well, I, you know, listen, I don't know if it has or not. You know, I, I was talking about, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast, and again, not so entourage specific, but in this answer it is, there was a, you know, the Me Too movement really started, really started probably a year after the Entourage movie came out, mm. but it was really bubbling up before that. And there was a real harsh backlash in the US. I know we did, we actually did well in Australia and I, I love you guys for that. There was a real backlash to it in the U.S. And even though it was very similar to the tone and the content of the show, it was really seen as these these guys who, you know, were, were animals. And to me, the show is about best friends living in fantasy land. It is not about anything else. And um, I, I wanted a chance with the podcast to, to people to see the behind the scenes closeness of what the guys were like and to feel that the vibe that was on the camera was very similar to what was off camera, too. Yeah, I mean, that, there's that scene in the, in the film where Ari, I think when Piers Morgan is doing all those interviews towards the start of the film, and Ari says it's the, the charm of that group. I think that's what carries it through. But as you mentioned, the last couple of years have been, have been pretty problematic for, for Hollywood in general. Are there parts or scenes or characters where you're like, oh, shit, if Entourage was done today, maybe we would just, maybe let's take Weingart out. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be taking Weingart out because, you know, and people ask me about that. Why didn't you talk about the sexual assault allegations? We're talking about Harvey Weinstein, but mm. I didn't know anything about that. I knew he was a bully and an asshole, and that's what I portrayed him that. But things that would change if we were doing it today, Ari would never speak like that to someone in his office because if he did, his career would be over. So there are ways that it can be done. And as we know, groups of guys... They talk the way groups of guys do. And 
how much that has changed over the last 15 to 20 years. You know, I don't hang out with, with guys like that anymore in my 20s, so I don't know. But at the time, that was a very realistic portrayal of, of how young men spoke, whether it was offensive to some or not, and it clearly wasn't when it came out, and now to some it is. So, of course, I wouldn't write things like that that I wrote when I was 35 years old. And, but they were accurate portrayals of, of guys I knew. And, again, you know, I don't want to say locker room talk as if Donald Trump's talk was <laughs> locker room talk. But these guys, they talked. They were never doing any actions that were really, like, evil or bad. And what the show was for me was about friendship and loyalty. And Hollywood was a backdrop. So, uh, you know, I just think uh, there's nothing that I need to apologize or, or redo. But, yeah, when I watch it now, and I'm only watching I haven't watched it in years, but because of the, the podcast, I've rewatched it. There's definitely stuff that I'm like, whoa. But when I wrote it, I mean, believe me, the people at HBO who were intellectuals and were smart, they were reading every syllable, and nobody was going, what the hell is this? And when the reviews were coming out, they were – pretty universally positive at the time it was really as i said not until the movie when all of a sudden i was this uh misogynistic uh bro which mm. i'm not and never have been so yeah i mean like especially like again watching i'm, I'm three episodes in now. i watched the first three episodes again last night and there where like some of those maybe lines from turtle when he's trying to chase girls he's immediately cut down by e as soon as he yeah. says something stupid or gross they're like they are being called out consistently yeah, and, throughout and e it was very clear to me and important turtle and drama never got the girls so they yeah. talk like idiots but eric and vince never spoke poorly about women like that and ari was the you know even though you watched the pilot last night he's talking about cheating on his wife but he never did like we, mm. we clearly know by the end of eight seasons he's another one who talks and mm. That's what guys do with each other. They boast, they do this, they bust on each other. And that was, you know, to me what the show was. This is a, a, a weird quick segue, but you just reminded me mentioning Ari in the pilot. He's kind of, he's a bit dark in those first two to three episodes. Like he's, he's still funny and quick and witty, but he's, he's much mean is the wrong word because he's always mean. But like yeah. in that first, in that meeting when he has dinner with E, for example, he's very, yeah. he's, he's well, like the bad guy in the sink. I think, I think you're right. I mean, you know, in those first episodes, he is the real antagonist. And mm. by whatever point it changes, he becomes a friend. And he talks down to everybody because that's what he does. Um, but at the end of the day, he was there for them. But when I wrote the pilot, I had absolutely no clue what the next episode was going to be or if Ari was going to work or if this one was going to work. So, like I said, the idea that he cheated on his wife, which was mentioned in the pilot, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, what's season five, episode three. But so the characters were not fully formed until probably midway through the second season, you know? Going back to that pilot, when you're writing, I know HBO didn't love it initially. Um, you had, you still had people like Jessica Alba, Luke Wilson jumping on this. In those early days, how hard or, or tricky was it to bring in like, hey, Jessica Alba, come be on this show that no one knows about yet? I mean, it was really hard. And I, I, I'm specifically on the pilot. I mean, you know, we had an actor who didn't show up, you know, to play themselves. And we were sitting on set with a relatively modest budget is certainly by HBO standards. 
and we're sitting there with no actor and, and Adrian Grenier had to call a friend of his, Allie Larder, and get her to drive down to a set and just show up on a show she'd never heard of. So that was a big favor that she did for us. And as the show progressed, people started coming to us and wanting to do it. But how we got Jessica Alba to do it early on, and uh, uh, I forget who else, Lamar Odom, I forget who else you just mentioned. But Luke, first, Luke Wilson was in, I think, episode two. Yeah, Luke Wilson, yeah. I think Larry Charles was a friend of his, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Um, Larry, I don't know if Larry David was in season one. I think he might have been, but... Um, I'm, I'm only four episodes in. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like eight episodes in with this podcast, but... Uh, it was really challenging to get people season one. And then when it started airing by season two, people were calling us, which was nice. Yeah. As far as the cameos go, and I mean, everyone's going to have their own opinion. I would say the, as far as the biggest, although holy shit, especially this type of person is in this show for all of a minute, I would say it's got to be Scorsese or Eminem. James Cameron, you know, yep. uh, U2, um, you know, the yeah, Lakers. Shit, Yankee Stadium, you know, Tom Brady, LeBron James, you yeah. know, so Matt Damon. When these people come on, as you said, as the show progressed and got more successful, people wanted to come on. Are these calls you're making or are these, you know, M&M's guys like, hey, I really love your show. Can I be on it in some way? I mean, different things happen different ways. Like LeBron James called us and said he wants to be on the show. So I said, I figured it out. Matt Damon, I wanted on the show and we called him and he basically said, can you get my charity in there? So I wrote something that, that was funny, but that actually <laughs> like, yeah. talked about his real charity. Eminem, a song came out where he mentioned Johnny Drama. So I <laughs> called my friend who was friends with Paul Rosenberg, who managed him, and I was like, you know, uh, is he a fan? Can we get him on the show? And they called back and said yes. So it happened in different ways. James Cameron, you know, was, was um, one of my post-production people worked with him on – uh, everything, Titanic, etc. And I wrote in the script, which was early. James Cameron is is in it, and she was like, "What are you doing? He's not an actor. He's not. He's never going to do this." I said, "Just please ask." And somehow we got him. Scorsese, uh, Mark Hall. I knew they were working together on a show, and I said, "Mark, you, I mean, oh no, on um, The Departed." And I said, uh, "I said you got to get him." And um, and Mark was gracious enough to call him and we got him so different ways for each person i read this somewhere tell me if it's true or not that the character of vince is based well, loosely based on toby Maguire as far as storyline dicaprio as far as personality and Wahlberg as far as lifestyle yeah i mean it was really the the inspiration for the whole show was based on mark and then different story elements were taken from wherever i saw them, whether it was my life whether it was Things like the Toby stuff is really just in reference to uh, Aquaman because Toby was was something was going on at the time with Spider-Man and this and that. So we took elements from everywhere. And obviously, Adrian is such a different type of, of person than Mark is that it, it shifted when we, we honestly when we couldn't find a Mark Wahlberg type. So um, but elements were taken from wherever they were a lot from my life. You know, now I didn't live a movie star life but more about the friendships and the group. Is there any particular moment or scene or sequence throughout the show where it is very relevant to what was going on in your life? Oh my God, so much. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, Ari's, Ari's uh, wife was based on my wife at the time. Ari's son was played by my son. I mean, I got separated during the show. So a lot of personal stuff was, was in the show. 
And I mean, all of my friends from high school that these characters had elements of know dozens of stories that ended up in the show that they know was from our lives. So there was a lot of stuff that I took from my life and, and turned it into, you know, hopefully comedy or drama or whatever you want to call it. But uh, um, yeah, so lots of things like that happened all the time. And I mentioned it before as well, in that lead up to, to making Entourage, HBO weren't fans. Apparently some of the actors on the show weren't even fans. What got it across the line in the end? Well, Chris Albrecht and Carolyn Strauss were the two executives. So we got the script to a place where they finally approved it. And, you know, when it came out, it was very well received, you know. So um, the process to get there was very long and challenging. They had a lot of lot of input, which most of it was good, you know. So uh, fortunately at the time, HBO, they gave you the time to make sure you got it right, both in script and casting. So we spent some time finding the tone. You know, as I said, if we found a Mark Wahlberg type to play Vince, it would have been a very different show and closer to what I first wrote, which I don't think would have worked. It was really a much tougher group and fights and this and that. And at one point, you know, Chris Albrecht, the president of HBO was like, you know, we don't want to do Sopranos in Hollywood. We want this to be a fun ride. And, and, you know, we took that to heart and, and they were right. And that's, you know, ultimately what I wanted the show to be a fun ride with your buddies. And, you know, like I said, even LeBron James, when he came on the show at the time was like, this is my E, this is my drama and this is my turtle. And that was always my, favorite compliment when people would say that it reminded them of their group that they grew up with so mm. i know Connolly did an interview where he said once you guys locked in piven that's when he knew entourage was going to work what was it about piven that changed that perception of this could be fun or this could be a hit well that's from Connolly's perspective i knew when i found those four guys it was gonna be a hit i wanted jeremy before we started casting so he didn't audition like the other four did but um, when I saw those four guys in a room together, I knew it was going to work. I knew Jeremy was going to work. Even when, uh, when I first spoke to him about it, I said, I don't know if this show is going to be good or not, but I know from Larry Sanders, where I was a fan of his, I know how to write for you. I don't know why, I just do. And uh, so that I was never concerned about. And Jeremy came in and killed it from day one. But the challenge for me was to find four guys that felt like they grew up together and were best friends and all had their unique personalities and, and purpose. Didn't Dylan come dressed up as drama when he auditioned with you? Is that you know, a story? Right. We just talked about this on Victory the Podcast, yeah. but he showed up, he came, I thought he was dressing weird as I remembered it, but he just showed up straight from the golf course and he didn't even take <laughs> his spikes off, which is a drama move. It's so bizarre, but the minute Kevin Dillon spoke in that audition, I was like, holy shit, how is this guy not an enormous star? I was, I, I really was like, I can't believe how lucky we are to have him, you know? So um, that's how I felt about all of them. The, you know, the, this group of four guys was, was really, I couldn't have imagined getting better people, which is really, as much as I like to credit myself with a great writing and script, finding the right actors is everything. It really is. So mm. I was, I'm like re-watching favorite shows and listening to podcasts. Like I'm a big fan of The Office as well. And I don't know if you know, Brian Baumgart has started that an oral history of The Office. No. And he did, he did these interviews with some of the cast members and said, you know, Steve Carell never won an Emmy for Michael Scott. Everyone's fuming. Do you think it's fair to say that alongside Michael Scott, 
Johnny Drama is the best TV character to have never won an Emmy. I mean, it drives me crazy. And I don't even like saying because I really do love all my guys. But yeah, Kevin Dillon. I mean, there are a lot of things I can get angry about. Matt Damon. How did he not win an Emmy for what he did? Martin Landau. I mean, Dude, people you know, thought Damon's breakdown was like a legitimate thing. I think that was yeah. on TMZ. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, that scene was obviously such a, a thrill for me to have Matt Damon. And honestly, that the last scene we showed after the credits, I forgot what season that is. But Matt Damon, I would I would just throw him things. I would say, okay, Matt, cry and tell him this, <laughs> yell at him and do this, and like like that. So that was obviously very exciting. But uh, I can't believe Kevin Dillon didn't win an Emmy. But I actually didn't realize the Steve Carell thing, and I can't believe he didn't win an Emmy. You know, that's mm. you know, and all of them. You know that. That was like the show alongside us at the time. And, and The Office really was very underrated when it was on the air. It really exploded on Netflix on a whole other level in the last, what, three to four years? Yeah. So, so that was the one show at the time because we lost Emmys and Golden Globes to Desperate Housewives and uh, um, Ugly Betty. The Office was the one that I, I didn't get upset about because I, it was such a brilliant show that, that spoke to me, you know? What was the main competition in those Emmy Golden Globe seasons against? Because obviously Jeremy Piven got a couple, which rightfully so. But yeah. what was who was Dylan's main competition each year? I'm, I'm trying, trying to think who it was. Jeremy Piven. I mean, that's who it yeah, was. Yeah, should have. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I don't remember how many Dylan got nominated for, but Jeremy won three in a row, which is very rare. There's not a lot of people in the history of television have won three straight Emmys and maybe two straight Golden Globes, but Dylan definitely lost one or two of those to him, and uh, you know. Again, awards are awards, whatever. They were both, they were both great. And, uh, and I honestly think the other guys were great too. So. I mean, he got his moment in the Entourage film, so that's, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> do, do you think, I remember I, I was, I think I interviewed Dylan for Entourage when it came out in 2015, and he said they would all be up for doing a second film. Do you think that's possible now, both oh. in the scope <laughs> of things? No? Simple no. I'm not doing it. No. I mean, I don't know that anyone wants it anyway. You know, the first movie... You know, we did great in Australia, so I love you guys and thank you. It didn't do great in the States um, for whatever reason. And as I said, the Me Too movement, there was some backlash, whatever. But uh, it's run its course. Uh, you know, I talked about doing something animated. Uh, you know, as I said on the podcast, it's Dylan Connolly and I and Jerry was on last week. And we're bringing, we'll bring everybody on at some point. But, uh, you know, I, I, it wouldn't be me doing it. So um, the only thing I would even contemplate is an animated version of it, which I talked about. 15 years ago. I think there's something there that would make it, you know, Entourage was before TMZ and before social mm. media. It's now like we were looking at behind the curtain of something that people didn't really know. Now you can turn on your TV and see, you know, the real Vince and, and what he's doing with his friends every day. So um, I, I think it's run its course, you know, but I think the, the podcast is, in my opinion, it's a good uh, addendum to it. It feels it feels a little like the show, you know, it feels like your boys you're hanging with. So has, has the reception to the podcast surprised you in the sense that, you know, people still love that show and are watching it and talking about it, despite it wrapping up nine years ago. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm stunned. I mean, you know, we, we went to number one on the TV and film chart on, on Apple the first week. There's, we haven't done any advertising. Like I haven't even done any stuff like this. We've done very little promotion for it. And then weird things like I just, you know, I just, uh, I mean, it's a weird, strange segue, but I try to get like a discount on some stuff I need from someone that I haven't spoken <laughs> to in nine years that I had in a, in a book. 
And I said, hey, I don't know if you're still working at this place, but I, you know, if, if possible. And she wrote back, I'm loving the podcast. And that was just, it, it's very cool to hear. So the response has been great. The, num the audience keeps growing each week. And, uh, you know, and I'm loving doing it, you know, which is, which is good. So would you ever be tempted? I mean, again, during COVID, the amount of reboots that are happening, revamps, spinoffs, would you ever entertain the idea if it made sense? I mean, look, I, you know, we're all interested in money on some level. If someone came with money, but I, it's not something, I, to be honest, I didn't want to do the movie, you know, Mark talked me into doing the movie. I was, you know, and of course, I wanted the money and I love these guys, but I had felt like the show was over. I felt like we delivered on what it was and I I'm happy with the movie and it was a great time doing it. But, um, I don't know. I was, you know, it, it was tough as the seasons progressed, like what the fuck are these guys going to do anymore? How long can these guys live together and hang out with each other? So, and as I got older and had children and was growing up, I was more interested in, in other things. So, but, um, you know, uh, like I said, who can say never to anything when you can, when people can go get paid to do, you know, the full house 30 years later, I guess <laughs> anything is possible, but yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't interest me. So. Yeah. Can you end the speculation now? I know you did an Instagram post about this a while ago because you've had Jerry, obviously it's, it's Kevin's media company. You're doing the podcast with Dylan. There's speculation that Adrian isn't part of the gang anymore or that he's fallen out with guys. Why hasn't he come on the podcast? Why are you all best friends? Like we all hope. You know what? There is absolutely no fallout except for, and I hope whoever's listening now goes after him also. I love Adrian like a brother. He always beat to his own drum, which is great. So I spoke to him and I said, I want you on the podcast. And with everything that's going on around right now, Adrian really is. He's someone committed to making the world a better place and he's doing his thing. And he said he wasn't in the head for it right now. That being said, I don't stop telling people to bother him on social media. And there's zero doubt in my mind that he will he will come on at some point. But uh, there is no problems with Adrian. I love Adrian like a brother. I want him to, you know, do great. Um, but he was always just not a – he was always in his own little thing, whatever that was, you know. And maybe he doesn't <laughs> like us, but I love him. <laughs> when you do that Instagram post that he just texted me like, fuck off. Don't do that. <laughs> you know what? I wish he would do that, but I haven't heard from him. So I don't know if he's seeing it, but I spoke to him probably six weeks ago. And when he said that, I was like, okay, I get it. And the first thing I did was post a picture of him and say, guys, if you want it, you not, go after him, you know? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that um, you're, you're working on new projects. What, what are you working on right now, especially when you're confined to your house and nowhere else? I literally just finished this script. It's, it's not Entourage, but it's loosely inspired uh, by Thierry Henry and his life, international football. Wow. Um, we're hoping to do that with Matthew Vaughn right now, and uh, we're wor working on that. But there's not, you know, there's not much to do, and we were talking about it today, actually. You know, the opening scene is 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium, and we're like, yeah, I guess we CGI it. Or do we actually do, like, if we actually are lucky enough to film, do we, do we go shoot an empty stadium and talk about the world now? So... I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, as in Hollywood, any script you write, you're, you're one minute away from having like it go and you're another minute away from it, tossing it in the trash. So I feel really good about it. I'm excited about it, but we'll see what happens. But right now I really am. I'm focused on this podcast. I never thought I'd have so much fun, like showing up to work. Cause even though entourage, 
was with these guys every day. It's so much more work, as you know, than going to a podcast and talking for an hour, you know? So uh, I'm having a good time with it, you know? How often are you guys recording? Not enough, you know? So, you know, <laughs> Kevin Connolly is, you know, he's, he's trying to be a podcast mogul. So, like, to, to like, get us into his studio is, is tricky. But uh, we're doing one a week. I'd like to get up to two a week. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And like I said, you know, the, the audience has been growing, which is really nice. And the response has been great. And we're trying to trying to listen to what people like, what they respond to, what they don't. And, um, you know, once we get it where we're feeling really confident, we'll start trying to, you know, do more episodes. Do you have plenty in the can already or are you very much up to date? I know you mentioned Dom's going to be on this week's episode. Yeah, Wednesday we got Dominic Lombardozzi. I think we have uh, four. We're a four ahead, I think. And we're doing we're getting into the studio this week. So are you got, you, we're wanting to get Adrian on. Where are we at with getting Piven on? That's a different issue. I haven't even tried to get Piven on. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. You know, um, not really anywhere with that. I, I, I want to get Adrian on, you know, and uh, there's, you know, a bunch of other people, Scott Kahn and Bob Saget and Andrew Dice Clay. And uh, we had Janet Montgomery on. Um, Do you see? I mean, what'd you say? Do you see? Yeah, and Perry Reeves I need to get on. So I've been talking to her. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll get them all on. And I also, as I said, I want to bring a lot of the TI I've been talking to, trying to get on right now. But, you know, with the combination of COVID and everything that's going on with the, the, the civil unrest, you know, a lot of people don't want to spend time talking about these things right now. So, uh, but we're, it's going good. That's good, man. With, with productions going on, uh, the Thierry Henry project, if, if things start getting better, are you hoping to start filming that this year, next year? I'm hoping to start ASAP, so we'll see. You know, um, um, yeah, I would like to get going ASAP. I would, the plan is to go live and work in London for, you know, as long as it goes, and uh, yeah. we'll see. That's awesome, Doug. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate your time. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. Yeah, Victory the Podcast. Check it out. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Green Room Podcast and thank you to Mr. Doug Ellen for coming on to talk about his new podcast, Victory the Podcast with Kevin Dillon. You can check it out wherever you get your favorite podcast, which I'm assuming is this one because you're listening to one right now. Am I right, guys? Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, we'll see you all next week. Thank you again for listening. Uh, and don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, do all the things. Check it out on thepodcast.com.au. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.